Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. On it's a beautiful sunny day on the studio up here in Fort Collins, but uh, it's windy. It's still windy. How, who's tired of the wind? Uh, who's tired of the wind? It's really, uh, really, uh, it's wearing me out. I went, I went and drove around, looked at a couple lakes yesterday, uh, Horsetooth and uh, Boyd. And uh, Horsetooth had one boat on it. I mean, there were white caps. It was not a pleasant day. And Boyd had, I, I didn't drive in, but I couldn't see any trailers in the parking lot. So it didn't look like too many people were out. I guess the one thing, the ones that are going out are going to get unmolested fish. And, you know, you can fish in these conditions. Um, I used to do it in my tournament days because we'd have to be prepared to fish like this in tournaments, and we'll talk about that during the course of the day today, how to maybe at least not have the wind keep you off the water and maybe even use it to your advantage. Also, when I was out yesterday, the stocking truck just pulled up the lawn haggler, dumped in 8,000 rainbows by the uh, west boat ramp. <clears throat> you may want to, if you want to pick up a few trout this afternoon when that, uh, when the wind dies down, probably have pretty good fishing along that shoreline right down there. So that's just a quick tip. We got lots to cover today. We have a short show. We're only on for an hour because of the NFL draft. So let's go to the phones. And joining us from Tight Lion Outdoors is Josh. Good morning, Josh. Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining the show. Um, your first time joining us from the Tight Lines crew. Uh, you guys have been fighting this wind. I, I want to get to where the bites are and what's going on, but, you know, you can fish in this wind, but I always tell Nate, if he tells me one more time about a walleye chop, I'm going to slap him. Oh, <laughs> uh, we all love it, it in pipeline. <laughs> but it has been challenging at times, hasn't it? Uh definitely makes boat control uh, a little bit more of an issue, but once you get boat control figured out, man, those fish are, fish are hot, so it makes a good time. Well, you know, you're, the thing that typically, uh, you know, I covered the PWT for in fishermen and I fished a lot of high level tournaments myself. And the thing that usually separated the casual angler from the seasoned tournament angler usually was boat control. And of course, guides too with boat control. It really, it's when it, people look at articles in a magazine or a video, they'll see us making a particular cast or trolling a particular lure at a certain depth or a particular color combination. But uh, sometimes I don't know if we get into boat control enough because it really, if the boat control isn't there, it doesn't matter how good your presentation is. That's right. Boat control is everything. Uh, lure color, lure size, all that stuff. doesn't matter if you can't have control of your boat and put it where, where you need to to get those fish to bite. Uh, especially like right now we've got that walleye bite going on at Cherry Creek still with lead core, which has been phenomenal all spring long. Uh, I mean that you, you need to have your bait within inches of that bottom. If you're two inches off, those fish don't want anything to do with it. So boat control, boat speed, uh, all of that has been super key there. Uh, it's a little more laxed at Chatfield. Uh, we've got probably a two-foot range that we can pull our baits through on planer boards using those big stick baits um, and still get on fish. But Cherry Creek, I mean, if you don't have good boat control, you're not going to get on them. 
You know, that's a point, Josh, that I want to carry a little further, if you don't mind, because they hear us talking all the time about trolling. And when we talk about trolling for walleyes, we talk about if they're chasing the pelagic bait fish like the shad, that you have to be above the fish because they won't strike down. They're looking up at those schools of fish and you can be up a little more. And that's probably what's happening, happening at Chatfield a little more. But when they're Correct. down feeding towards the bottom, feeding on blood worms, feeding on insects, feeding on crawfish, anything that's on the bottom, they're looking down and you really, that's when a lot of times the bottom bouncer comes into play too. And in that mm-hmm. case, you really do need to be right by the bottom, don't you? You do. And uh, what we're seeing at Cherry Creek, uh, or these fish are feeding on midges, the same stuff that everybody fly fishes for trout and that stuff with. Uh, little small midge larvae, kind of in the same family as a mosquito. And right now, the water temperature isn't hot enough to have those fish actually, or uh, excuse me, have those larvae turn into adults. Uh, when they do that, they'll suspend about a foot off the bottom. And that's when the bottom bouncer deal comes in with slow death rigs and that stuff, because that puts that slow death rig at the perfect height where all of those little larvae suspend and then turn into pupa and then rise to the surface. So right now we're looking at all of those larvae within an inch, maybe three inches tops of the the bottom. And those fish are looking specifically for that that range. Uh, if you're outside of that range or you're kicking up mud to where it looks unnatural, you're not going to get on them. So we're constantly on our speed, uh, constantly pulling out an inch of line, bringing an inch of line in, uh, really making sure that we're either running our flicker shads or our paddle tails uh, right in that strike zone. A lot of attention to detail. Oh, it is. Real quick, I want to move on to a different type of fishing. Real quick, though, overall, the trolling bite at Cherry Creek and Chatfield is holding up pretty well. Oh, yeah. It doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. I would probably have about another week before that... uh, that slow death rig bite really starts going. That live bait rig bite starts going. We started to see a couple fish this last week uh, when we had nice temperatures start to kind of isolate and uh, push up on structure to where you can start jigging for them. But the majority of them are still out in that open water basin, either looking for uh, schools of shad uh, or or larva. And you kind of answered my next point. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, trolling isn't just dragging baits around. You have to be pretty well set up with the right equipment, the right rods, rod counters to successfully troll. It takes a, a boat that's really set up for it with the right kicker motors and even wind socks and things. What about the guy that has just, you know, he's got a fishing boat, maybe he doesn't have a kicker, he doesn't troll very much. It sounds like you think that's going to transition where he'll have more success in a week or two. But what about right now? If I'm going out to Chatfield or Cherry Creek, which one would you go to and how would you approach it? If I'm just going to not troll. Uh, If you're not going to troll, I would say Chatfield would be my first choice uh, just because it has more options for structure uh, and I know it a little better. It's in my backyard. So uh, there are fish starting to show up in those 12 to 15 foot humps. The water is a little bit higher. It's come down about a foot from where it was at ice out, but still maybe about a foot higher than normal. Um, And those fish are starting to to show up in those spots now. So if you didn't want to troll, 
um, that would be where, where I would look for either that or, I mean, casting jerk baits is still super effective. Uh, it's not as effective at trolling because your lure is only in that strike zone for maybe a third to a quarter of your cast if you're lucky. That's the reason why we troll those big stick baits on planer boards because it keeps them at that depth the whole time. Uh, but that is still a super effective way to target those fish now too, uh, whether low light periods or if we get some, some wind casting to those windward shores. What about those humps? Are you going after those with a jig? Are you going after what type of presentation are you recommending there? Uh, we did pretty well with blade baits the other day. Uh, jig and plastics, jig and paddle tails, uh, either one of them will work well. Yeah, it's so it's a pretty fast jigging presentation. You're not you're not doing subtle. You're looking for reaction bites. I that's how I'm fishing it. Yeah, yep. And you can slow it down, and you can you can feed those fish because they are looking to feed while they're there. Uh, but I I like that reaction bait or reaction bite anytime that I can get it. All right, I want to switch gears totally on you here, Josh. Uh, we got a short show today, and we only have about three minutes left on your segment. What about the mountain trout? I hear that is really starting to light up. So Levin Mile and Antero are both opening up today. I was up there yesterday checking on the lakes and uh, those guys are working hard getting the boat ramps in and getting ready for the A&S inspections and that stuff. So hats off to those guys. They're doing a great job. Uh, Spinny looks like it's going to open up next weekend. Yesterday while I was up there, we had tons of wind. It was 17 not wind, so right around 20 miles an hour and gusting more. But, man, there were some big post-spawn rainbows that were moving uh, in that shallow water that we could see. Uh, so we're going to have more and more of them showing up over the next couple days to a week. Uh, our pipe will still be on the spawn for probably another week, week and a half, and then we'll start seeing those big fish push off uh, into that, that next transition zone, probably that 8 to 12-foot break. Uh, to where we can start really targeting those fish and, and not be messing with them on the spawn. Uh, so that would be the biggest thing now uh, would just be if you're going to go up there, leave those spawning fish alone because there are a lot of them still there, whether it be pike or rainbows. Uh, stay off the reds if you're on the river or uh, any of those gravel, windblown shores that the, the rainbows might be spawning on and target that little bit deeper water. Get those post-spawn fish that are done with their business and uh, they're hungry. I mean, how would you time. how would you approach them? What kind of techniques would you use to go after those big trout? Uh, some big trout right now. I'm throwing anything that looks natural. Uh, we were up throwing uh, small woolly buggers in uh, or olives and uh, light browns. Uh, we did throw a little bit of black woolly buggers that did well. Uh, any scuds, uh, any bunny leeches like. Myers mini leech or any of those work really good. Slump busters work really good in those smaller sizes. Um, just a natural presentation. And you can get throwing a little bit bigger flies too if you want to because these fish are hungry and aggressive. Were you fishing the river or the shoreline? I was fishing the shoreline. So I found a couple areas that were kind of out of the wind that I could manage a cast and, and would just work that uh, probably 8, 10 feet of water kind of what I was focused on. While you're up there, you know, did you notice we're not seeing too much runoff yet, Phil, pulling in? Uh, I know you're also an avid fly angler. Are we looking for the rivers maybe, of course, a lot of the South Platte is stale water, but we're we looking for the rivers to maybe start blowing out pretty soon, and should even more fly fishermen be turning to the lakes? 
Um, you know, I think that the lakes are probably one of the most underutilized fly fishing opportunities that we have in the state of Colorado, uh, even at Chatfield. Uh, guys go down to the Keys and, and target saltwater fish. And July and August, we get a phenomenal uh, sight fishing bite, at, even at Chatfield Reservoir, where we have all those little schools of bait fish that are up on the surface within a foot or so of the surface in big schools. And you can sight fish for walleye, for bass, for rainbows. Everything's in there eating on it. Um, for our lake stuff, our midge hatch up in the mountains is going to start probably here in about two weeks. And that's when we're getting all those big post-spawn rainbows. Uh, if you're new to fly fishing, it's it's a pretty easy presentation. You're doing big indicator rigs, uh, double fly rigs at the bottom, uh, and just casting it out and letting that wind drift it one way or the other and just watching your indicator. Uh, and you're getting big post-spawn rainbows that are doing the same thing our walleyes are doing down at uh, Cherry Creek and Chatfield right now, and that's just feeding on those midges. Uh, it's a very uh, low-output energy uh, and a high high return for that energy for them. Uh, they don't have to chase bait fish down or anything like that. They just cruise that bottom slow and and just suck in mouthfuls of, of larvae. All right, 30 seconds. If I'm a conventional angler, I want to catch those big trout from shore, what should I throw? Uh, tubes are always good, um, small tubes. Uh, right now, the spinners are small, uh, cast master spoons, all that stuff will work well. Like I said, these, these fish are post-spawn, they're hungry, they're looking to recoup some of that weight. Um, so the biggest thing is just getting out and enjoying, enjoying the weather up there. Uh, make sure if you're heading to the mountains that you've got the clothes to deal with it because that condition or weather conditions are going to change quick for the next month or so where it's going to be nice and then you're going to have snow on you like we did yesterday. So I'd say uh, just plan to be comfortable and uh, target them any way you want. All right, Josh, we got to run, but thanks for the info. If people want to get a hold of you guys, it's tightlineoutdoors.com, tightlineoutdoors on social media. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, thanks a lot, Terry. You bet. That's Josh from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about bears in Colorado and what's going on with them on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. On the front range from Broomfield, Lafayette, Loveland, Fort Collins, and even in Cheyenne, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, snowshoeing, biking, you need to stop by a jack store and check them out. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's uh, it's a, is it windy down there? It's supposed to let up today, so I think it's going to be a nice afternoon. I'm hoping. I'm tired of wind. Yeah, it was pretty windy yesterday, but um, but so far right now, at least uh, near the Colorado Springs area, it doesn't seem as nearly as windy as it was yesterday. You know, Travis, we have a very robust bear population in Colorado. And uh, people are aware of that, and I think they're becoming more conditioned to it and understanding what they have to do so the bears don't come conditioned to them. In fact, bear interactions have actually, even though there's been a number of them, have dropped off last year a little bit. But I'm concerned that with this weather, if we don't get more growth, as we get into the air, those things could pick up because usually it's food-related while we get these bear interactions. 
And in order to prevent some of the actions, we'll get into what people can do at home. But Parks and Wildlife has really come up with a program to help organizations and communities maybe help prevent bear interaction. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, this year, for the first time, we have something called our Human Bear Conflict Reduction Community Grant Program. Um, And in that program, local governments, NGOs, HOAs, community groups, um, individuals, anyone interested in in, uh, reducing human bear conflicts around Colorado can can apply to receive this funding. Um, And we're we're, we have a million dollars to devote to this effort uh, this year. And so folks can apply uh, to get a grant. Um, and we're just asking folks to, that projects that uh, they apply for have local support and are designed to prevent conflicts with bears and, and that they have tangible outcomes and realistic timelines. Uh, but we have information on our website uh, right now where folks can and community groups can get on and check out and, and apply for those grants. Now, what are some of the things a community might consider? Do you have a few suggestions of things they might look at? You know, the the biggest thing I think communities could look at is, is looking into bear resistant uh trash trash cans um for, for folks in an area. Really bears getting into trash is one of the, the biggest problems we, we face each year and and trying to access bears trying to access trash is, is a leading cause of conflict we see. Uh so um and a lot of times it, it happens because uh Folks might leave their trash out the night before because they want to get a jump start or they're worried about forgetting in the morning, but it can leave those attractants out on your curb all night. And then that can bring wildlife in like, like bears that, that might get into your trash. And so, um, but even, even, uh, folks who are trying to take it out as close to a trash time as they can, um, having that, that bear resistant trash can ensures that, that nothing is going to get in there. Um, even in the short time it's on the curb. So, uh, it's really helpful. Let's let's uh, we'll give them the information where they can where where can they apply for this first? Why don't you give them the information? Sure thing. Um, so it's it's on CPW's website, uh, cpw.state.co.us uh, backslash bears, um, and it takes you right in at the top of that page. It's a great it's a great page overall with lots of good resources. But at, right now at the very top of that page, we have the Human Bear Conflict Reduction Community Grant um, with all the information and, and links to the full program plan and, and you can download the application uh, right from there um, as well as contact information for, for our staff if you have questions. Now real quick, and we'll give that information again folks, but real quick let's talk about, I'm an individual I live in the suburbs I live in the foothills um, I live even close to the prairie. There's a good chance that I could do something that would attract bears to my neighborhood. What are some of the things I can do at home personally that makes it a lot less to, for me to have a bear interaction? Sure. So, you know, we've already received reports of bear activity in, in 14 Colorado counties this year. We're, we're letting folks know, take a look around your house. Uh, bears should, should not be eating from, from trash receptacles, bird feeders, uh, or other human-provided food sources around the home. So take a look. If, Take down your bird feeders, hummingbird feeders. Um, look, look around around and see if you have other attractants like um, unsecured pet food. Be sure to to lock your garage doors and and keep your garage doors closed. A lot of times, bears will get into to folks' garages. So, um, just bears are are also very good climbers. So, we have a full home audit checklist. But if you have you know, trees next to an upper deck, bears can definitely climb onto trees and get onto upper decks and get into homes that way. So 
just just doing a good audit of your home and make sure there aren't any outside attractants and it's not easy for for a um a bear to get into your home or into your garage is, is super important. Of course, you can always store your food in your car and leave it unlocked, right? <laughs> yeah, we got we get videos every year, and you know, with social media, you see them more and more. But bears can definitely open car doors, and so um, you know, if you're if you're out somewhere, or even if you're just parked at the house, it's always good to to lock your car door. Good habit for just for keeping your car safe from uh, folks getting in, but also from wildlife because bears can definitely get in there. And we, we see that every year where bears will get into a car. They're they're brought in by an attractant that somebody left in the car and then can mess up a car pretty good. So, you know, I, I want to take a couple minutes to touch on a quick subject. You talked about pet food, barbecue grills, garbage, bird feeders. I mean, bears can smell that actually miles away. So don't think you're safe just because you're in a subdivision a little bit. But one of the things I'm concerned about, I want to get your feedback on this while we have a minute left, and that's a lot of people love to have fruit trees in their yard. And I don't know if they understand how much bears love that fruit, other animals too. Um, and if we have a really dry year and we don't see the natural berries and roots and things, those can become an issue too, can't they? It's true, yeah. As one of the items on our home audit checklist, we advise folks not to let that fruit um, sit on the ground if you do have a fruit tree like that to yeah to get it off the ground because that that will bring wildlife in as well including bears. So tell us again where we can find information both for at home and to get these grants. Sure thing. So uh, our website CPW's website cpw.state.co.us um, we actually have at the top of the page right now um, a link that goes right to our bear page but it's just that website forward slash bears. That'll take you to write to all our um, information on um, living living with bears, uh, doing a home audit checklist. And then at the very top of that page, we've got the new Human Bear Conflict Reduction Community Grant Program that, that you can check out. All right, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Travis Duncan from CPW. And folks, um, it, it bears get black bears kill more people, it's, although it's rare. I think it's. The last hundred years, there's been one person a year on average killed by a bear in North America, and that includes the grizzly bears up in North America. But bear attacks happen because bears get conditioned to food, and they, they rely on it, and they start associating humans with it. And black bears, once that happens, if that food goes away, they actually will predate on human beings. So be you know just prevent that development of making them feel comfortable and, and eating around your place. I know they're fun to see, but keep a distance. Watch them out in the, in the wild and don't do things to attract them. Last year, bear encounters were down, and I think that's because we had a pretty good season for the growth of the type of plants that they typically like to eat. We'll see what happens this year. We're not off to a very good start, so it could be very important to really mitigate bear interaction around neighborhoods and homes this year. We're going to take a time out. When we come back... We're going to talk dog training and a couple things. Ben Garcia, our dog trainer, wants to tell us how do you get your gear ready for spring so you're ready for hunting in the fall? And also, how is this wind affecting your dog? All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. We'll go to the phones now, and joining us from Hideaway Kennels is Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. 
It's uh, is the wind died down at your place? It's supposed to die a little bit today. I am done with wind. I, I don't want to jinx myself, but it's a gorgeous day. So we right. this wind has been a struggle for <laughs> a little bit. So I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But first, yeah. we have a mantra on this show that we've had for years, and that's don't get ready to go hunting. Stay ready. Keep track of your gear. Look at it ahead of time. Test your shotguns, your rifles, all that during the year. Don't wait till two weeks before. And that applies to your hunting dogs, doesn't it? It really does. And, and the equipment, not only your dog itself, but the equipment you use to get them out in the field with you. So what are some of the things I should be looking at? Yeah, so at the end of the season, I mean, we're kind of a little bit past the end of the wrap-up of the season, but um, I like to go through all my gear and just see where I'm at. So, um, you know, if you're duck hunting, not only is it cleaning your decoys, which is great, or cleaning your reed dot on your duck calls, but it's also looking at your dog's vest. You know, I mean, is, is the zipper holding up? Is there mud in there you need to wash out so then it doesn't rub on them later next year? And then for upland, you know, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. If, if you're using goggles, I like to go through and clean my goggle screens. I like to make sure all my buckles are on. Um, on my e-collar, which is what gets beat up the most, you know, the main thing you want to check is, are your prongs good? You know, do you have both prongs still, um, which are the, the the inside of the e-collar? Um, is your battery good? Do you need to send it in to be tuned up? You know, um, that's one thing also. Your vest, your chaps, your boots. You know, I mean, a lot of, and you know this too, we talked about it with fishing gear at one time, but to reorder stuff has taken some time. So if you go through your bag and inventory all your gear, now's the time to start ordering it to get ready for next season. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything from ammunition to guns to any accessory, um, and especially if it's a dog accessory, um, I haven't kept track of that market. You would know better than I do, but you said it was tough last year, but everything was tough. Now, things seem to be getting better, but a little twist, and all of a sudden something's not available for months and you're, ma- you're trying to makeshift something and it doesn't work right or the dog's uncomfortable or it just doesn't right. function. So you really, this is really the time to get all over it. It is. I mean, and, and boy, like ammo still is still, you know, not coming through all the way. So, I mean, if you have your fall trips planned, I'd be ordering it now, you know, and same with your dog products. If there's something new you want to try next year on your dog, now's the time to start getting them used to it, you know. For example, if, if next year, and it looks like it's going to be dry next year again, it'd be now the time to get the boots on your dog and start getting used to hiking and running around in boots. So then next season they're used to it and they're not flipping around and flopping on your first hunt. Yeah, that that's an important tip, really. When you add something, especially like boots or something that changed their feel and their comfort level, boy, you don't want to do that the first day on a hunt, do you? No, you don't want to be the one everybody's making fun of or laughing at your dog about, you know, but you also, you don't want it to freak them out, especially if it's a new puppy, you know, but now's the time to start getting that gear out, test it out, see what you like, see what you don't like, and um, and get in there and start playing with it because it, it comes quick. You know, the fall season really rolls around fast for us for hunting. Oh, it really does. I want to switch gears on you because I don't know if this wind is going to go away or come back or stay. But we're obviously we have windy days all year long in Colorado. Right. How does the wind affect the dogs, both just training them, working with them, maintaining them, having them outdoors with you? Does it have a lot of negatives or things you need to do to prepare? Normally, you know, like for us on the upland side, we really like the wind. We want winds. The dogs can smell birds. We can teach them where to start where to start sending the bird and the scent cone and holding point. But the, the issue this year we've noticed is is um, 
Normally, wind's good if you have cover and it's not dry, but it's so dry right now, and the wind is so high that it's really it's a struggle with the dogs to pinpoint birds. And, um, you know, you have to pay attention just like us. You know, you have to clean their eyes out, clean their noses out, make sure they're getting a drink between braces because you got to keep that nose fresh because it really does make a big difference. And we and this is a hard time of year anyways because we're starting to get green grasses, and, um, and that can change the scent of a bird. And... Um, around the area so the dog has to go from dry grass to green grass and smelling between it so there's a little bit of learning curve in there but yeah this wind has not been fun for us you know if we get a cool you know if the dakotas get a storm and we get a cool breeze coming down from the north it's, it's fantastic for us these south winds really change a lot for the dogs and um and, and change some barometers that you have to be aware of when you're working dogs one last question it's obviously been a very dangerous fire season. We've had a few. Hopefully, we won't get a lot more. But what happens? Why do you have to be careful of in a fire area with dogs? Uh, like if there's a fire, yeah. So I mean, no, I mean the I aftermath of a fire. Aftermath, yeah. So I think, like, I don't know if you saw the thing right now with these horses down in Canyon City, but they've got that influenza going through them, and the, and the herd that's really sick. They're saying last summer went through a fire. And so they think what happened is that that fire affected their lungs and, um, and that may have caused some infection coming through. So I think it's definitely time if, if you've been in a fire area or if we have a bad fire season like we've had before is, is talk to your veterinarian about lung care on your dog and have them checked out. You know, I mean, I don't know if I had a young dog right now or even an older dog and there's a lot of fires, I don't know if I'd be leaving them out in the yard to be smelling that smoke. I'd probably have them inside in a crate and have, have them trying to get as much clean air as he could because that smoke can't affect them. It's the same as us. You know, I, when that um, when we had the Black Forest fire here down here, I mean, it really got us and got the dogs pretty good. So I think you need to be aware of it and know where to have your dog. But also, you know, Terry, you bring up a good thing. If you're packing a to-go bag for yourself because you're in a fire area, you better have a to-go bag for your dog too because if, if you have to bail out and you don't have dog food, you don't have their medication, you don't have those things, you could have a problem pretty quick and you don't want to be switching your dog's food in a time of stress if you're having to evacuate. Yeah, you're right. There's just so many things to think of. I think that we're making these lists and, you know, we get to these times of the year, it's spring, we just have trouble looking ahead because we want to enjoy what's going on right now. And I think you, you bring up some awfully good points and really appreciate you joining us today. Ben, any last minute comments you want to make? I think as we go through this fire season and, and things that we've all been reality of in our lives the last couple of years, is I, I think make sure you have a plan if something happens to you and your household of what to do with your dog. Um, we did see some of that through COVID, and we've seen some of the other plans of where dogs are just kind of left. You know, nobody knows what to do with them. So if, if you're a hunter and the rest of your family's not a hunter, talk to your buddies about what to do with your dogs if something happens to you. Talk to your hunting partners of what you'd like to have done with your dogs because we definitely saw it in the last couple of years with some families not even knowing what to do with a hunting dog that somebody had left behind after they passed. So I think that's a good plan of another list to look at is what to do that happens to my dogs, not only my guns and my other things, but who gets my dog if something happens to me is a good reality of a conversation to have. All right. Ben, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah, they can get a hold of us on our Facebook page at Hideaway Kennels or on the internet at www.hideawaykennels.com. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Terry. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Ben Garcia, Hideaway Kennels. Great resource. We've had Ben on the show for a while, and we've gotten really positive feedback about the dog training. You know, there's a lot of crossover dogs and human beings. Most 
hunters and outdoor people have dogs, even if they're not hunting dogs, they have them because they're companions and pets. And we like having the information. Ben is spot on. I know he's geared towards the hunting dogs, but he really understands the animals and he cares. And it's been a great asset to the show. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to take you down to Colorado Clays and talk some shooting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. When life has got you down and the world's crashing all around, you can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wichcombe Outdoors on 104 The Fan, brought to, you, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. By the way, that song that we bumpered in with Count On Me is the number one stream song from Wickstrom and Dobreth, a group you might have heard about if you listen to this. Why don't you stream some of our music, see if you like it. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Clays, one of our favorite contributors, J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Hey, good morning, Terry. Nice tune there. Good job. Hey, you know, what's really nice is I'm looking out the window and it's not a 40-mile-an-hour wind. Um, depends on where you are from what I hear, but anything will beat the last few days, that's for sure. Yeah, it's supposed to start letting up, and hopefully it will. But you know what? You've still got to get outside. you still got to do things. You learn to adjust and you make things happen. First thing I want to ask you about, we were talking earlier in the show about we don't know what's going to happen with ammunition supplies and things yet. A lot of people need to be getting out now to be shooting for getting ready for hunting even in the fall. I mean, you should be practicing year-round, whether it's shotguns or other types of firearms. How is Colorado Clays doing for ammunition for use on the range? Well, very good and very pertinent question right now, Terry. So as we know, Colorado Clays is Colorado's premier public shooting facility. And as the number one public facility in Colorado, not only do we offer the very finest and recreational firearms activities that of course including our state-of-the-art rifle and pistol range shotgun opportunities as we always say trap skeet wobble traps sporting clays patterning and much more but terry we also work diligently and continuously to acquire ammunition so that our customers can enjoy their recreational firearms activities without having to wonder if they will be able to find enough or any ammo and this is just so they can enjoy their sport um terry i think the fact that colorado clays has been able to keep ammunition throughout these last couple of years really is a testament to how well known and connected colorado clays is in this industry and of course how important serving our customers needs is to us uh, it certainly has not been easy uh, I am happy to report that Colorado Clays is still currently stocking most of the popular calibers and gauges of ammunition at the most competitive prices we can offer. So, uh, Terry, I encourage anyone wanting to visit Colorado Clays that would prefer not to chase ammo down to give us a call and see if we have what you need. But truly, Terry, as you said, um, if you have an idea what you want to hunt with, what you want to recreational shoot with or compete with, continue to chase that down and try and get the ammo you want specifically. If not, we are stocking uh, the best bets that we can and trying to keep our customers shooting. 
You know, let's take it a step further. What if I want to come out with a friend or I, I don't have a gun and I haven't shot for years or I'm about to get shooting? What about you have rental guns? Is that right? Yeah, Terry, we do have rental shotguns and our instructors do have uh, pistol and rifles that they do work with people to teach them the ropes with those guns. Uh, shotgun shooting, we have some beautiful Browning Satori's that we rent out. Very well suited gun for the types of activities we have here and really anything you might do with a shotgun. So particular if you're in the market for a shotgun, coming to Colorado Clays and trying out um, a gun that's very suited to really all disciplines of clay shooting and very good at hunting, uh, try our guns out. It's definitely worth that visit alone. And you don't have a dog in that fight because you're not trying to sell them a gun. You don't sell the guns. You're just trying to, you just have them there for customers to use and for people to try out, right? That's correct, Terry. So our firearms are rentals for them to try out. Colorado Clays is an FFL, so if you make a choice on a gun from another dealer, all you have to do is have them send their information to us, we'll reply back, and then you'll have the link that you need to get a firearm transferred here and the transfer done. So Colorado Clays really does all aspects of firearms purchases other than selling the guns right here. So we make things very easy for our customers. I want to touch on one more thing before we let you go today, and that's um, self-defense and concealed carry. Um, of course, that involves mostly handguns, not always. There's other, depending on your situation. But I'm a, anybody who's listened to this show knows that I'm a huge believer in shooting being a perishable skill, and especially self-defense where you might be in a stressful situation, that practice and training are very important. Now, you do offer concealed carry classes and other classes there, right? Yeah, great point, Terry. So, you know, nowadays so many of the firearms being purchased are for personal and home defense. And that is why so many folks are applying for a concealed carry permit. And as we know, concealed carry is a privilege a person has in our country when they obtain a permit to do so. The first step in obtaining that permit is to take and pass the concealed carry class from a certified instructor or institution. And this is where Colorado Clays comes in, Terry. We offer these classes on a regular basis, and anyone can sign up by simply giving us a call and scheduling with our instructors. Now, why is Colorado Clays the best place to get your concealed carry? It's really simple, Terry. Uh, we have the finest, most knowledgeable, and highly certified instructors in the business. And our instructors are also employees at Colorado Clays. So they work with people all day, every day, and truly understand the needs of the average person when it comes to all of the aspects of concealed carry. Uh, examples, uh, your rights and responsibilities as someone possessing this permit. Uh, safe gun handling, and that's not only at the range, but at home and in the public arena. Uh, learning not just about your gun's function, but the importance of practice, like you said, and being familiar with your firearm to the point of having confidence that you can safely and responsibly use your firearm in any situation. And of course, you get to do the target shooting portion of the concealed class right here at Colorado Quays with those same great instructors and receive just very valuable marksmanship training as you go. And of course, since you are at Colorado Clays, you get to do that uh, shooting portion at the number one facility in Colorado. So there's really 
no question, Colorado Clays is the place to get your concealed carry class. Uh, one quick one, and this we're going to have to keep this to about a minute and a half, but some guys came out because they heard you and I talk a lot about patterning turkey guns. Share that story. Uh, Terry, this is great. Um, and first, you know, I'd like to congratulate all those hunters who did come to Colorado Clays to pattern and learn their guns' capabilities. Uh, heard some great success stories, but I think uh, to your point, Terry, uh, I wanted to mention is that many of the hunters coming to pattern heard the recommendations we made on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Radio and possibly your podcast, too, regarding the choke and ammo selection that has been most effective based on our patterning results. And I will tell you, uh, we have turned some very average shotguns into very effective 50-yard-plus turkey guns. And, Terry, it really is nice to know that the info we put out on your show is helping out our fellow outdoorsmen and women. And uh, I'm just, just proud to be part of that, and congratulations to everybody that benefited from it. All right, my friend, how do people find you if they want to get a hold of you or want more information? Terry, give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Uh, check us out on there. Take the virtual tour if you want to look at the facility. But as always, uh, make time in your schedule. Come out and see us. We'd love to have you. All right. And you and I need to get on the water together very soon. Terry, the the trip is coming, and I told you the last time, I think I'm going to pre-fish because I might actually have a chance of keeping up with you if I can learn some stuff ahead of time. That's my plan. Well, old, old dogs don't learn new tricks easy, but we'll see. <laughs> Give me a chance. Come on. <laughs> All right, my friend. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Well, I'll see you before that. We're going to get on the water. Thanks. Thanks, JR. Thank you, Terry. You bet. JR Pierce. Great guy. Great people at Colorado Clays. You know, it's owned by Colorado State Parks now, but it's still run by Corey and JR. And it's the same great facility that's being done the same way. Um, everything's the same there. So don't be hesitant to go out there and give them a try. We're going to wrap things up. Short show today because we got the NFL draft coming up. A couple things I want to mention. I know I kind of harped on the wind a little bit today, but, you know, I used to go out and fish in these wind conditions, and it's supposed to be better now, so it should get better. We're going to get a little cold weather. It's going to change things for a day or two, and then it's going to become more seasonal again. But if you really want to get out, you can fish in this wind. And there are ways, I hope you gave you some ideas to take advantage of it. I was out at Lawn Hagler yesterday checking a bunch of things, and the stocking truck pulled up. There was not another person at the lake. I was the only one there just checking things out. And they dumped 8,000 uh, catchable trout off the west boat ramp at Lawn Hagler. So I bet you if you went there this afternoon and tomorrow offshore there, you could have a good time catching a bunch of trout. Follow us on Facebook. We talked about our short show, about what we were going to cover today. You'd known that coming up today. We also podcast, put links to a lot of our podcasts. Follow us on YouTube, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And don't forget our music, Wickstrom and, Dun uh, Wickstrom and Dobreth. Go ahead and stream something, search for us, see what you think. We'll, take, we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and our draft coverage on 104.3 The Fan.